I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. Welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on a Sick Podcast Network. Jimmy Murphy, Pierre McGuire, and uh, I'm back at Jocko's Pub in Waltham. Uh, Pierre, thanks to another Verizon outage in my neighborhood. Uh, are you back in the Boston area? I am. I'm back That's- in the Boston area. Battled the uh, snow from the great state of Maine yes- uh, yesterday through the state of New Hampshire into northern Massachusetts. And uh, it was a delightful ride from Orono. But one of the best things of the weekend, the uh-huh. fan base in Orono. Jimmy, hockey is alive and well in Maine. The University of Maine, led by Ben Barr, is doing a phenomenal job. Uh, and I got to tell you, being in that building both night, Friday and Saturday, saw some exquisite college hockey, but more than anything, the passion of the fan base was awesome. It really was great. Yeah, that's what we expected. And I got to get up there sooner or later here, Pierre. Uh, and speaking of uh, Mr. Ben Barr, uh, we, we are going to be joined by him tomorrow, I understand. Yes, we will be. At, uh, he'll be on with us from 4.15 to uh, 4.45. Tomorrow night live, uh, they're heading down to play uh, a good friend of ours, Mike Cavanaugh, the University of Connecticut, uh, this coming weekend. So uh, just before the team gets on the bus, he'll be uh, joining us tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that, and I know you are as well. It's definitely, Pierre. And actually, you know, you're talking about that, that they're, you know, they're getting ready to head down to face UConn, Pierre. Some of our fans might not understand for teams like uh, a UMaine or UVM or teams that are way up there, some teams that are in the middle of nowhere, you know, nor no there. What's it like for them when they have to do road trips? Depending on the weather, it can be hellacious. Honestly, yeah. I'll give you an example. Colgate took two days to get to Orono, and part of it was one of their coaches had coached at Andover, so they used the Andover rink and practiced on their way there, stayed okay. overnight, had a nice meal, then went. But after the game Saturday, which ended up being a 4-4 tie, um, Colgate got on the bus and bus back to Hamilton, New York, a bus ride that usually would take nine hours maybe – Eight took almost twelve, so wow. just because of the weather. Yeah. Uh, and Vinny, and I got to tell you, Vinny, the bus driver for Colgate, deserves a medal. He, he's a prison guard as well. That's his real job. <laughs> wow. and I'm not kidding you. And they got back at around uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. He had his day job, his real job, started at three that afternoon Sunday and went till seven in the morning Monday. And he showed up for work. What a guy! He's he's a fantastic human being. The team thinks so much of them. This is these are the stories I want to get out there because it's all about the fabric of hockey. 
they think so much of McColgate. They gave him a championship ring from last year's championship team at Lake Placid. And you wow. should have seen the reaction of this gentleman when he got the ring. I mean, tears in his eyes. It was phenomenal. It was just, yeah. he's just a special, special guy, a great person. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, I know about these trips. I mean, it's, it's like we see, you know, you look back to the old movie Slapshot and some of the road trips they took. I mean, these are these guys going through the back roads of uh, the Northeast or wherever, and I can't imagine what it's like out in Minnesota or North Dakota as well, Pierre. Uh, when they give you a good, I'm going to give you a good one from the East Coast Hockey League. Okay. So we played a Sunday night game in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, against Bruce Boudreaux's team. Bob Woods was a player assistant coach who used to be the assistant coach for the Minnesota Wild and the Washington Capitals. He's a real good defenseman, and he was helping Bruce out. So <laughs> it's a pretty good story. Right after the game, we get on the bus to go play in Toledo. And uh -huh. That's about a 16-hour bus ride. Right. And, you know, we did very well. I think we won in Biloxi that night. or It was, it was a great game. It, either we won or it was a tie, I forget. But it was a real good hockey game. We got on the bus. We busted Toledo 16 hours. The driver was unbelievable. He's a former football player at uh, Louisiana Tech. And, okay. Um, so we get to Toledo, and the guys are thinking, oh, what a nice guy. He's going to put us right in the hotel. I said, no, no, no. We're going to the rink. <laughs> we, we practiced. They thought we were going to drop their equipment, but I wanted them to get the bus right out. And what I did was I gave the trainer a credit card, and I said, when we come back in this room, make sure that – because we had a couple of days before our next game – Make sure there's plenty of beer and pizza in the room. I want the guys to be surprised. Perfect. So but we skated, and then they came back in, and there's you know lots of ice coolers and adult beverages. And so I wanted the guys to know I appreciated their efforts. Yeah, so they, they went from probably a little frustrated with you to very happy. No, they, they were angry. I'm sure they were angry. <laughs> one of the things I always tried to do, I didn't do it all the time, but I tried to always make sure when they were skating, when they felt there was a punishment, I try to get involved with them as well. So that's good. That's a good way to do it. Well, let's get to some, some some very big NHL news over the weekend, and then of course today we'll go back to Friday night here. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks playing Jersey Devils at the Rock in Jersey, uh, and, and you know as we were talking off the air, Brendan Smith, kind of a throwback defenseman, uh, loves to throw the body around, good character guy. You know the type of guy that every team needs if they want to make a run in the playoffs. In my eyes. Um, and he goes up and he catches Connor Bedard, the rookie sensation for the Blackhawks, who's dangling through but has his head down, and he catches him. And it wasn't a headshot. It was a clean shot. Now, the follow-through, because his head was down, he did end up making eventual head contact, but the primary point of contact was not the head. And, you know, it seems pretty unanimous, but yet there's a crowd out there saying, oh, he shouldn't be doing that, and that was dirty, and that was a cheap shot. So let's – Let's play this from Ken Danica, who himself was a great old school defenseman in the mold there of Brendan Smith. We're going to play his take right after, and then we're going to go to the coach, Luke Richardson, of the Chicago Blackhawks, who I thought did a fantastic job of immediately downplaying any question marks as to this being a clean hit and how his team felt about it. So let, let's play this from Ken Danico first. It's right here is Bernard. He's got such... Slick hands, and there he makes a move right there. No, it, it, it looks like Brendan Smith just steps up and, and catches him. Yes, he ends up getting him in the mouth area. One more look from a better angle. That's clean. That, that, that's yeah. clean. The, the, the elbow's down. He goes right through the chest. Yes, the follow-through or just the impact kind of maybe clipped him in the mouth where Bernard was a little shaken up, and you hope he's okay, but here comes Nick Foligno to the aid of the young star and 
And I understand this part too, Bill. Okay, now he described it perfectly there. Now, you know, everybody's kind of up in arms on, on social media. And then the coach, Luke Richardson of the Chicago Blackhawks, does a perfect job. This is coming from the coach of Bedard, okay? So if anyone's going to make a gripe about it, it's going to be his coach. But listen to what Coach Richardson said. Didn't really see it too many times yet. Like I just saw it quick uh, on the bench. I don't know if it was dirty. I think Connor was reaching for a puck and didn't see him because he was behind another guy, one of their players. And I don't think he stepped up on him. I think he just kind of stopped. Connor kind of ran uh, head first right into him. I mean, and that's I, it. I don't think it was uh, intent to. That's it, right? I mean, Pierre, he nails it right there. And I, I love that he did that because when, when his coach, when Bedard's coach is saying that, it really kind of calms the drama that was building well, first of all, uh, salute to Ken Danico. He's got to do that live. He doesn't have time to think about it. That's a really good call by a very, very good hockey person. He deserves a lot of credit for that. that that's really strong um, TV analysis. Uh, Luke Richardson is spot on, Jimmy. It's not even close. He's spot on. I he's going to gain way more traction with players around the league and especially with his own players. And what people need to know, Luke played like that. Luke wasn't a shrinking violet when he played. He was a tough guy. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Chicago Blackhawk fans, you used to have Chris Chelios there. You used to have Dave Manson there. You used to have the late Brian Marchment there. You had some guys that could break some legs. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, Chicago Blackhawk defensemen were overly physical with other players on other teams. I coached the Stanley Cup final in Chicago in the old stadium. And, and trust me, one of the things we used to tell our players in that small rink, Jimmy, I'm just telling you, in 1992 – if you're going to come down the wing, you better know who you're cutting them down the middle. If you're going to cut to the middle of the ice, you better know who's on the ice against you because they're going to step up and pile drive you. And so one of the things that's happened, it's not such a bad thing, is that all these skill development coaches keep talking about puck possession, puck possession, puck possession, dominate the puck. What they don't tell you is the more you have the puck, the more people are watching you. The more the people are watching you, the more chance you have of getting hit. We're the only sport that doesn't have out of bounds. So all these skill guys, they teach all the skills, which is great. I have no problem with the skill. The skill level league is unbelievable. They better, they better also warn these guys, you might get hit when you have the puck in your stick. And, um, you know, I feel bad because Connor Bedard's not just a great player from all things that I've heard. He's just a fantastic person to um, feel bad. You don't like to see anybody get hurt, but he got hurt. Yeah, and it's, it's part of the game, unfortunately. But I'm with you, and this is kind of what we were talking about uh, with Marshan with his quote last week, right? I mean, it was only a, a day before that happened on last Thursday night when Marshan was just talking about, like, look, I mean, it, and, you know, he was a little harsh saying the league was soft, but I we understood the gist he was trying to get through to everybody. It was like, this is great with the skill and all, but it's still a physical game, and you still got to play that way. And you, gotta, you have, like you just said, Pierre, I think the key thing, like you're saying, is, you have to be aware that your opponent is willing to play that way, that he's not going to just sit back and let you make some highlight real play. He's going to do everything in his po humanly possible to not be embarrassed and be part of that highlight reel, you know? So here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're a younger fan and you haven't really seen the nastiness in hockey, go watch the 2007, actually, no, 2003 Stanley Cup final between Anaheim and New Jersey. And go watch Paul Correa get absolutely destroyed by Scott Stevens. Clean hit, by the way, by Stevens. Yep. It was. But Paul tried to cut back, and that was the nature. Now, I know things evolve. I get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. Yep. But back then, 
you know, you, for those that are fans in Dallas and those that are fans in Colorado, remember the Darian Hatcher-Peter Forsberg collisions? I mean, those were gigantic battles. For those that were part of the Pittsburgh-Washington series, you know, even in the early days when you had Scott Stevens or when you had Kevin Hatcher, I mean, there was there was stuff going on. There was violence. It, it happened. But uh, the, to me, the biggest thing about Brendan Smith, and I have so much – first time I ever saw Brendan Smith play, he played for St. Michael Buzzards. He was playing before he got uh, drafted in the first round by Detroit and before he went to Wisconsin. His draft year, Wisconsin, had three first-round picks. One was Kyle Terrace, one was Ryan McDonough, and one was Brendan Smith. They were all in the same draft, the three of them, okay? And I saw all three of them play that year. And, and Brendan Smith, to me, was not just a hard physical player. He was a tough kid, but he had skill, and he could skate. He could really yeah. skate, and he had skill. And he yeah. stood out. In, in that part of Ontario, he was the best defenseman, whether you're a major junior player or whether you were a junior player, tier two junior player like he was. He was the best defenseman. Anyways, he goes to Wisconsin. You know what he did, Jimmy? He knew that he was going to have to dance with Felino. He knew. Mm-hmm. So rather than say, you know, I don't feel so good, I, I'm going to bail out on this, he says, okay, I'll do it. I know i got to take my medicine. And he did. And he did. And and I think if we sat here and we looked Felino in the eye, he's going to agree it wasn't a dirty hit. But he's just doing his job because that's their superstar. And I get – and now, look, I don't want to seem like I'm a hypocrite because I think it was only a week ago where I was complaining, hey, enough of these hits, clean hits, being punished with a fight. But I think there is an exception to the rule, depending on the category of the player, Pierre, and, and what he means, not just to the team, but to the league. And well, I, I, I think I, they understand that. The Devils understood it. It was just one of these things that people have to understand that are looking at that hit and say, oh, my God, that's hard. No, this is hockey. And, and credit to Brendan Smith for not going for the head. Yeah. He could have easily really hurt him, like hurt him a lot worse than a broken jar. I know that sounds horrible. And barbaric but i mean he could have sent him into another world and he could be in concussion land right now hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. No, I, I really respect what you're saying there. And, and hats off to Brendan and also to Luke Richardson. I think what Luke did uh, to try to defuse the situation is, is unbelievably uh, strong and very character charismatic i think from luke yeah um and shows the intelligence level he has uh and i think he's done a tremendous job obviously with that team in chicago but to me is that i understand people don't want to see good players or anybody listen when you got somebody playing in the game like i have a son that plays in the game when you have somebody that's playing in the game, you don't want to see anybody get hurt because one day that could be your child you don't mm-hmm. want to see anybody get hurt and is hard hitting part of it it is it's a part of the game you know, I'm up in Orono. 
you should have seen some of the hits that I saw this weekend. And I'm telling you, there were more hooking and tripping calls than there were calls for hard hits. Mm -hmm. Because people still want to see hard hits, Jimmy. Yeah. They do. People want to see that. Including the players. Including the players. players. Are part of the, they don't want dirty stuff. They no. Know the players want dirty, but they understand everybody's fair game once you get inside the arena. They just understand it. And intimidation, as you always say, Pierre, is part of the game still, and it always will be. As you long know, as it sends the message. All, hey, listen, and I'm telling you right now, I'm a huge proponent of women's hockey, huge proponent. I'm I'm stifled and shocked, actually, that they've allowed so much hitting in their games in the PHL. I'm, I, I'm really surprised. Yeah, I know. And, but, they, you know, they didn't advertise it much either, Pierre, coming into no. this. It was sort of like, let's just let it dictate itself on the ice and we'll announce it with the action. And I think that was even better. I think that drew more eyes in and drew more of an audience that maybe they weren't going to have. Well, I think the women deserve a lot of credit. They're they're playing really hard. Those games are oh, yeah. a short season, and they're playing for keeps. I mean, they understand yeah. there's a chance for them to have a livelihood playing a game they love. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with it. But it shows you, again, the physical component of the game. And they yep. realize, I think as a league, they realize, too, the importance of physicality. And yep. the women have bought in on it, so good for them. Yep, good stuff. All right, changing topics here, Pierre. Of course, we were kind of expecting it for a while now. There's been lots of reports for about the last week uh, that they were going to sign Nylander in Toronto. And, you know, I see stuff on Twitter now, people saying they overpaid them and what are they thinking? And, oh, my God, look at all the money they have locked up and so many play, and he's not worth it. All right, look, you can make a, a very great argument that the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, and to be fair – it's more on Kyle Dubas because tree living wasn't there for all these other contracts that they have to combine now against the cap with Nylander's new contract, which is by the way, 92 million for eight years, 11.2 cap hit per season. But Pierre, like, I don't know if people aren't paying attention to the market or to what's going on in hockey and, and the fact that the salary cap is going up now. So when I hear somebody say, how can they justify giving Nylander that, and giving him more than David Parsonak got last year from the Bruins in the contract that just started this year, I look at it and I said, well, apparently you, you're not paying attention because last year they were in a much different situation looking at the salary cap, not knowing what was going to happen. It hadn't risen the way people expected. So they had to give him what they did. And last year people thought that was too much. Well, now the cap's risen. I, I just think this is market value. I, I'm not saying whether or not he will end up being worth it. I don't know. But right now, for somebody with what he's done this season, his body of work, that's market value. You agree? He's a 40 to 50 goal scorer. There are not a lot of those guys in the league, and he's really oh. consistent with it. Um, and clearly, he picked a great year to have what looks to be a career year, even though you know his highest goal total has been 40 goals in one season. Uh, he looks like he's going to surpass that uh, pretty easily. So, you know, again – the market is what the market is. Does this cap go up? It does go up. What Toronto needs to recognize is Mitchell Marner becomes a UFA in 2025. Uh, John Tavares becomes a UFA in 2025. I mean, and I will just tell you, not picking on them at all because they've tried to make their team relevant to win the cup, so they've disposed of a lot of picks. Um, they don't have a lot of prospects that are going to be getting paid big money when they come out of junior or come out of college. I mean, Easton Cowan and Fraser Mitten are their two best uh, prospects for money down the road, I would say, at this point. 
Well, they're not even in the NHL yet. No. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, Toronto's got to stay relevant. And if you were to ask me, are they going to be a legitimate contender to win the cup with the roster they have now? No, I don't think so. I yep. just don't think they're deep enough on defense like a lot of people. And I, I'm not sure they're going to be healthy enough in goal or even good enough in goal. We'll see. We'll see how it works. Anything yep. can happen. You know, nobody thought Florida was going to beat Boston the first round either last year, and they did. So anything can happen. But realistically, I, I, I kind of understand what Brad Treeleving had to do, Jimmy. Yeah. He had to get a, a star player signed because there's a real chance that Mitchell Marner doesn't go back after 2025. Exactly. And, exactly. and he's giving these guys, you know, Morgan Riley, Austin Matthews, he's given these guys, and Mitchell Marner, he's given them every opportunity to try to win as a group this year and next year. That's what he's yep. doing. And he's trying hard right now. I mean, we know it's, it's been confirmed all over the place that he's had a lot of interest in Tanif and Calgary. Uh, he's trying to bring some defense in, which they need. Yeah. Obviously they want to figure out their goaltending and well, let's, let's give him, let's see what he does in the next couple of months to, to solidify it's, that. You know? this. The only thing, I mean, there's certain guys he can take credit for, um, but not a lot. I mean, the mm -hmm. truth is that most of this roster is inherited. And we'll see. You know, he had nothing to do with Matthew Nyes. He had nothing to do with Bobby McMahon. Like all these guys that are new there, he had nothing to do with those guys. They were in place before he got there. Mm -hmm. So let, let's see, you know, how it all plays out going forward. Well, in terms of a, a contract year and players, you know, and usually that's when you see them kind of rise to the occasion because they want to hit pay dirt there. Well, one guy that doesn't really need a hit pay dirt, but I'm sure isn't happy with the contract year he's having right now here is Steven Stamkos, Captain uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. And, you know, you pointed out to me today that Steven Stamkos right now is a minus 19, 16 goals, 22 assists, and a minus 19 in 38 games played. I saw him play the other night when he was in Boston and – I don't know what the – I don't want to say – I know he's interested. So not disinterested isn't the word. He he didn't look present. How's that sound? He did not look present out there. And that's not to say that he's not trying, but there's something there's something going on, Pierre, with Steven Stamkos. Could it be that, you know, this whole thing with the contract and the fact that the team he's – he made a point of coming back to when he could have went to the Leafs, is that weighing on him? Is that hurting him mentally right now? He's 33 years old. All he's ever done is win. Everywhere he's ever been, he's won. World Junior, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Here, people forget this. The amount of hockey he's played. He's played over a thousand games in the National Hockey League. He's played almost 150 playoff games, uh, give or take. Um, so you start to add these numbers up and look at it. It's just monumental. He's had major lower body injuries, major, major lower body injuries. He had to come back from, and it forced him to miss Olympics two Olympics. Um, I remember when he got hit in the face early on in his career in Boston in 2011. Uh, that was devastating. I, and he came back and played. This is a tough guy. Jimmy, I know him really well. Steven Stamkos is a winner. He is. He's won at everything. He's won at hockey. He's won in lacrosse. He's won in soccer. He's won in track and field. I'm not kidding you. Like, he's won in all these things. I didn't he is know that. an amazing athlete. The guy is a winner. He's a gentleman. He represents his organization unbelievably well. I think I could be wrong, but I think not being signed or being dealt with right now uh, in a contract situation is probably bothering him a bit. I would say yeah. he took less money. Now people will say, what about the tax base in Florida? Right. I know they don't pay tax. 
compared to Ontario. I get that. I understand. He did. He took less money to go to yeah. Tampa. And he brought him two cups. Yeah, two cups and another trip to the final. Yeah. You know, like people forget that. Yeah, that, in, in, honestly, oh. yeah and Pierre, that 2015 run, like it sounds crazy when I say this, but in terms of him and in terms of what that team did versus expectations was more impressive to me than them going and winning those back-to-backs. Obviously, that's very impressive. But I'm trying to say is he, he helped take a team that really nobody was given a chance to game six of the Stanley Cup final against the dynasty that was the Chicago Blackhawks then who ended up winning their third and last cup as that dynasty in that year in 2015. That like that run isn't talked about, uh, talked about enough, I think, by the media and fans in terms of what Steven Stamkos did and the heart and soul he was for that specific squad. I, I agree. You're spot on. You're, yep. you're right on. And again, I, I understand people are saying, well, where's what's he doing? He's still averaging over a point a game. I can tell you he, he's probably not happy with his plus minus. Oh, yeah. Right now. But, but he, to be fair, like we have to look at Tampa as a whole uh, experiment. You lose Barkley Goudreau. You lose Yanni Gord. You lose Blake Coleman. You lose Alex Kalorn. You lose Patrick Maroon. Uh, you lose Ryan McDonough. You know, like, hello, you lose Jan Ruda. You start doing the math of all the players that are gone. They lost a lot. In, in a these lot are glue guys, too, you're saying here. These are glue guys that you're, these are glue guys that you're bringing up, you know? They're, they're all eye test guys. They're numbers yeah. don't matter. You know, you, yeah. ask, if you ask Anaheim if they're a better team with Alex Kalorn this year compared to last year. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know you for a fact. Ask Tampa if they if they want Alex Horn back. Yeah, they do. Ask them if they want Barkley Goodrill back. Ask them if they want Blake Coleman back. Ask mm-hmm. them. If, you know, there's so many. I mean, he can go down the line. So yeah, and he didn't complain once. He just kept soldiering on. So I get if he's uh, you know kind of like, hey guys, I've done my part here. You know what's going on. So I you know here I'm just throwing it out there that we're all I'm just spitballing. This is. Hypothetically speaking, I kind of wonder, and, and they're kind of headed that way right now. If Tampa's out of it, come deadline time, do we see another St. Louis situation when you know he got dealt to the Rangers? And I know it's Tampa fans watching us right now and be like, How dare you say it? that's blasphemy? It's the reality of the game, it really is. And it's pretty clear to me that the management in Tampa, and, and I'm not knocking them for this, they have to move forward, they have to go into they have to start to bring in new guys, start to bring up their young players, their prospects, and they, they have to start to move towards the future, and that's what they're doing slowly but surely. And as we saw when St. Louis got dealt, part of that is sometimes trading a popular player, a key guy of your franchise that's that's meant the world to the franchise, just like they did with St. Louis. So that's why, you know, I said to somebody today, I said, you're nuts. They'll never trade Stamkos. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, Pierre. I really don't. I've talked to other hockey people that feel like you. I, I can't go there. Just I know. I, I see him as a Tampa Bay Lightning player. I do. Uh, I remember his draft year. Uh, Tampa and L.A. were picking one and two. It, it's mm-hmm. pretty easy. So you either get Steven Stamkos or you get Drew Doughty. Yeah, I was there. Both, both teams hit home runs, monumental yep. home runs. You couldn't go wrong if you were either team. And if you look at it, both guys have won two Stanley Cups. Yeah. Both guys have yeah. won two Stanley Cups. It's, it's really amazing when you look at it. They were, world, they were world junior teammates in Partabita in 2008. 
I mean, I can go down the line, all the great things these guys have done together or against one another. Um, but, you know, again, it just shows you there's a reason why those guys go so early in the draft. And, and Steven has been – I see him as a Tampa Bay Lightning player, so I'm not even going to try to speculate. I don't think it's fair. Mm-hmm. Not, I've been in the league as long as I've had the good fortune. Yeah. I agree. I'm not going to speculate about players' destinations. I don't think it's fair. But do I think something's bothering him? Yeah, I do. And I think it's probably because he hasn't had serious talks about a contract. All right. Well, let's uh, let's turn it over to some of our viewers right now. And actually, somebody over there saying, uh, Denora is saying, Stamkos would be interesting in Boston. Yeah, well, you never know. You never well, know. So here, here's the thing. You lose Krejci. To retirement, you lose uh, Bergeron to retirement. Char, obviously, longer loss ago. Uh, Tuca, not there anymore. So your tie-in to the cup years is one guy, Brad Marchand. Mm-hmm. Right, really, to the winning. Yep. So um, you want? do you want to bring in a guy that knows how to win? you want to bring in a guy that really cares about winning? That's why I used the term before. All I know about Steven is he's a winner. Steven's a winner. Yeah. He'll be te- hey, if it ever does come to the point where it, you know they let it known that he's available, they let it be known. The line will be long because they know people know around the league what a winner this guy is. All right, have, up- Jimmy, if you got a legitimate chance to win the Stanley Cup and he's available, you better tell him. Even at, even as a rental, even if I know going in, it's going to be a rental. Yeah, I'm just telling you, get him. You know what? You know that's a good point about Boston too. I mean, if I'm Don Sweeney. And I realize a guy like that who can bring in those intangibles that maybe I lost with the Krejci and Bergeron departing there. And, yes, this guy stepping up. Charlie Coyle's done a great job in that department for the Bruins. But, you know, if that guy's available, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do all I can to get him. But let's go to another question. Go for it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, A to Z me. Obvious question. Lisa are going to spend almost $50 million on four players next year. How do they do it? Well, the cap went up, so they have to do some juggling. That's why I talked about young players like Easton Cowan, Fraser Minton. Those guys are going to play because they're going to be making close to league minimums. And a lot of guys that are being trained right now in, in Toronto by John Gruden uh, in the American Hockey League, they're going to play too. Um, yep. And you're probably going to have some guys moved out that aren't making some money right now. So, yeah, no, that's just the way it works. Um, they've decided to try to build it this way. I don't believe you can outscore your defensive problems in the NHL, Jimmy, but they're tr- going to try to do it. That's what Yeah, they're especially try. in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't that's, think they can do it. But yeah. we'll, we'll see. Maybe they can. But hey, so far, no, really, take the, the only anomaly to the whole thing, the Edmonton Oilers in the 80s. But even then, if you watch them play defense – with Craig Mooney and Charlie Huddy and Dr. Randy Gregg and Paul Coffey and Rayo Rutzelainen. Like, they had defense. It wasn't yeah. like they were just an offense. They were an offensive juggernaut yet, but they could play defense. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Craig McNavish was a heck of a defensive forward. Yes, yes. You know, Kelly Buckberger was a heck of a de- – Like, so people always say, oh, Edmonton did it. 
Well, you know what? They had defensive conscience, too, in a lot of different places. I'll tell you what, Pierre. It was after Gretzky was gone, but it was when I really started to get into hockey. And, you know, they played the Bruins in that 1990 final. Messier's still there. And, uh, of course, Bill Ranford stole the show in that series. But they didn't win on all skill in that series, I'll tell you. They took it to the Bruins. I mean, it reminded me of what you guys, the Penguins, did a couple years later. I mean, they came into the Garden with a plan. And they won two games in, the, in that series in the Garden. If you no, three games actually in the Garden, and you know that there that was their plan. They knew we're not going to go into this place and win on finesse and win on our skill. We have it, but we need to dig deep. And you know that's how <laughs> time after time Stanley Cup champions become Stanley Cup champions. All right, let's part, go to part, their of, our plan, oh. part of our plan. Jimmy was uh, taken from watching Edmonton play against Boston. I can tell there, you. Here you go. It was a previous year. Right? Our plan was from what Edmonton had done. Yeah, I'll never forget that uh, three overtime game here. You know, Lima. Yeah, li li listen, God rest his soul. I know he just passed away. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not trying to speak in vain of it, but, you know, my dad used to always say, and this is before the Red Sox broke the curse, right? Before the Bruins had broke their cup curse. So my dad would say, the Red Sox have Bucky bleeping debt and the Bruins got Peter bleeping Clemer. Because <laughs> that. That goal. Oh, the Bruins had that. Glenn Wesley missed an open net, but all right, I digress. All right, next question. Of the teams needing backup goalies badly, LA, Colorado, and Jersey, which team makes a move first? So Alex asked really good questions. And you know what? I really, because of the injury situation in LA. That's right. Now, I'm wondering with Phoenix Copley done ACL tear. I'm wondering if L.A. doesn't get going here. You know, the one thing about L.A. that's an amazing numerical anomaly, go look at their home record, their 500, and go look at their road record. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's not even close. And usually, not always, usually L.A. has a pretty good home record because when the guys get out there, they like to frolic in the sun a little bit and they lose track of hockey, talking about the visitors when they come in. Mm -hmm. That's not the case anymore because they know L.A. is a real good team. So, again, um, I would say L.A. is going to be in there. My biggest fear for Colorado is that they have a really good team, and I'm not even sure if they got a legit starting goalie. You know, Gorgiev's a good player, but has he ever really won in the playoffs? Yeah, we don't I know. I don't. They don't know. We don't know, and I don't think the kid knows. And, and forgive me for forgetting his name. The, the other Russian kid they have is he's going to be good, but he's not ready. I can't think of his name, Pierre. He's been up a it couple times. With a T, I know that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out, <laughs> but. Anyhow, they, yeah, they, goaltending is an issue, I think, and that's kind of something a lot of people aren't talking about. I mean, you look at Colorado, you think they're set, they're a contender, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, you got to shore that up before the playoffs. So yeah. let's go to the next question here. Oh, yeah, this one. I, me I meant to bring this up to you the other day, Pierre, and I did text it to you just now. Yeah. I reposting from Evan McLaren. Reposting because I didn't hear the, this answer on a prior show. Ignore if it was. No, it wasn't, Evan. Sorry. Your take on the relationship the league is cultivating with sports betting, it bothers some people and sometimes feels weird to me, but I don't have an informed objection. Do you see any red flags? Pierre, before you you go into this, I just want to say I wasn't against it, but it's become unbearable. It's, it's just too much in your face. And what really sealed it for me, and I'm sure you might have been ready to bring this up too, which when you see Shane Pinto get suspended 41 games because his buddy stole his phone and went on a betting app and made a bet, and yet you want Shane Pinto to wear the Bet365 logo on his helmet 
I'm sorry. That's just hypocritical to me. And I, I, I still don't agree with that suspension. I think he was made an example of unfairly given what Evan is saying here, that gambling has become so prominent in the league. All right. That's my take. I, I remember back in the old days, um, every year during training camp, teams would have people from the FBI or people would have security oh, wow. specialists come in to talk about gambling, drugs, and alcohol abuse. And they'd bring in doctors, but they'd bring in police and security people as well and to go over all this. And I can tell you right now, gambling was taboo. It was taboo. I ran a practice in the morning in Hartford, and we had Foxwood Casino signs on our sideboards. Okay, Jimmy? When I came back for the game that night, those signs were removed per NHL request. The NHL did not want those signs on the sideboards. The next night, we played in Philadelphia. And something must have transpired in 24 hours because there were uh, Hera Casino Hotel signs on the boards in Philadelphia okay. 24 hours later. But yeah. we couldn't have them in Hartford 24 hours previous. So that they've been, this has been a disjointed relationship for a long time. I understand where the league and the front office of the league are coming from. This is all dollar-driven. It is. Yeah. It's all, they can say whatever they want. This is about money. Yeah. It's, it's all it's about. I, I personally do not encourage it. And, and uh, I have never encouraged it. I just think it's really tough. What I think we're seeing because of frustration with people losing bets, there's a lot of anger. I worry about the anger, especially when there's sports books in arenas, which is coming. Yes. Oh, yeah. The anger uh, on prop bets in the building. The anger yep. in the street when you leave the rink and somebody's lost, you know, whatever, their meal money for the week. Because that's what it gets down to, Jimmy. You know that and I know. I'm not making this stuff up. It's really – it's sad. And, and then what are they going to turn to, Pierre? If you're at a game and, uh, you know, uh, Brad Marchand doesn't complete your uh, triple parlay with a goal and you you got about six deep in you of drinks – and you combine the alcohol fuel with the, the gambling loss fuel, things can get a little hairy in the stands That's there. Right. Again, I understand my – this is a really dicey question to ask, but I think it's important that we – It's important to talk about. Yeah. We have to talk about it. I think it's really yeah. important. And um, so I personally am not for it, um, but I also know why it's being done. And um, it's part of why the cap's going up. They can say whatever they want, but it's part yeah. of why the cap's going up. It's hockey-related revenue. Yes, no. yes, for sure. For sure. And by the way, before we go to the next question, Alex B. Smith said that he remembers that too. Back in the day, they used to have Empress Casino on Hawks boards back in the day. Yeah. So well, there you go. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, it, all I, here's what I, I think I told you. This it's before. a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. It is. Um, but I totally understand why. So you're kind of, I understand why the league does it, but you're kind of caught in the middle when you yep, have the exactly. feeling about it. So. For sure. All right, next question. Will the Bruins make a pitch for Lindholm? Well, this is a, you know, this is the big one. This is the most common question when it comes to Bruins fans and what they're going to do to get that center. Now, we just discussed Stamkos. And I'll say, too, I forgot to say this when I was kind of hypothetically talking about that and connecting the dots there. The other thing too is 
if he did become available, and there's going to be other guys too. You got to look. We got to start looking at other options because I think Lindholm is going to cost a boatload. So I think it eliminates a lot of teams out there that are in contention, Pierre. Because you know the Bruins aren't the only team that are missing a first round pick that that are contenders right now, right? Because usually, if you're a contender year after year after year, you don't usually have first round picks because you keep using them in the trades. So I'd like to maybe, you know, be an exercise you and I can do off the air and talk about maybe later this week or next week and very soon is start to look at plan B's at the center position. I'd really be interested to see some of the other guys that could emerge because I think those are the guys that might move. I'm not convinced Lindholm moves. I just, from everything I hear that, that they're asking for him on the market, it, it's going to take a lot to step up to the table and get him. So what you're going to have to do um... – not everybody trades away franchise centers like Boston did with Joe Thornton. You know, they just don't. Not everybody trades away Ronnie Francis like Hartford did to Pittsburgh. They just – it doesn't happen. It's yep. That's why you can just rattle them off because it doesn't happen very often. You know, Joe Sackick never got traded. There's a reason why. Never, Mario never got traded. Did Gretzky get traded? Yeah, it was a unique time. There's a lot of different stuff going on in the bed. But great ones usually, not always, usually don't get moved. Um, I would say this, it's probably best if you're going to do this exercise to look at the teams that are realistically eliminated from the playoffs right now, mm -hmm. you know, San Jose, Chicago, um, you know, in the Ottawa. East, Ottawa, Buffalo, you know, I mean, can they all make it? Cause mathematically, yeah, they have a chance they mm -hmm. could, but realistically, do you think it's going to happen? Why not? So you have to look at those teams right now and say, well, you know, what's player X worth? What's player B worth? Do we want to establish the marketplace? It's it's not it's not that complicated an equation. The problem is is that um, a lot of teams still, when you make the deal early, you're still dealing with a lot of cap related issues, and that's part of the problem. For sure, for sure, we will see. But I mean, it's it you know for the for the Randy who asked that question, Randy Workman. Yeah, they're interested. I just don't see it at this point happen. I don't know how Don Sweeney pulls it off based on what I know that Craig Conroy wants. You need to have, ass you need to have assets to make that deal too, Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're not trading them for free. No. And the Bruins right now are not. They don't have a first, second, or third pair. A first, yeah. second, or third. I mean, It's going right to be more there. than one asset, though. It's got to be more than one. They're not just taking one asset. No, no they, want, they, want a high, they want a first. They want a prospect. And from what I'm told, they want a body. They yes, want a current roster boss. Look, it, it, it's painful to say they got really crushed on the Kachuk trade and they got yeah. really crushed on the Johnny Goudreau going as an unrestricted free agent. They got no compensation at all. And then you're talking about Calgary, obviously. And then you look at what's going to happen with Hannafin. What's going to yeah. happen with Hanev? <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. There, there are issues there. They already traded one guy. Uh, yep. after Vancouver, yep, because they couldn't sign him. It, sh it should be noted too. There, uh, I think it was Saturday night. Um, Elliot Freeman of Sportsnet was reporting that he's hearing some talks have started up again with Conroy and Hannafin's camp. I don't know, you know, that's all he said. He doesn't know how far it's gone, but he heard that both sides were willing to maybe explore it again. But by all accounts, Pierre, from what I hear, it, he he won't be with the Flames, but that's just what I'm hearing. I, I might be wrong. You can't. You know. Here's one thing I can say with certainty. 
Yeah. If they can't get that player signed, they cannot afford to lose him for nothing. Exactly. You so that's why down this road again. They the Goudreau thing was not properly dealt with. I wasn't involved, but I'm just telling you, you can't when you have players that still have plenty of game left and there's value. There there was trade value to Philadelphia, there was trade value to New Jersey, it was probably trade value to the Islanders, there was probably trade value to the Rangers. And obviously there would have been trade value with Columbus because they signed them. Sure. Um, so, and I'm sure there were other teams that would have taken them in a trade too. So, yeah, they cannot afford to do that again. They just so Pierre, I mean, decision on him sooner than probably any other player. Exactly, and and based on what you're just saying there, and I agree with all of it, connecting the dots. May, maybe that's just Conroy saying, "Look, we're getting to the point where we're becoming sellers." I'm just, I just, I'm just throwing it out there. Noah, you know, one last shot, you know, do we want to try and work something out? Because if not, I have to, I have to trade you just to get something back. It's nothing against you. I just got to do it, you know? So that's me. That's hypothetically speaking. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to this. I know you're very thorough with your reporting, but we're not starting rumors here saying no, that. So again, this is me just spitballing. Yeah. So that's all I'm saying there. But uh, all right. One last question here. Alex again, Alex B. Smith, too many heads down because they aren't worried about getting hit because hits aren't being thrown enough below the pro level. Got to learn a proper way to hit and take hits. Alex, I don't know. I think hits are being thrown a lot below the pro level. I don't know, Pierre. What do you think? Well, there's a few you things. Said you did uh, start attending a college game. The, the, uh, college, Division One college hockey, there are a lot of hits. Uh, Major, junior, there are a lot of hits still. Part of the problem, I think, um, especially internationally for players under 18 years of age, they have to wear full masks. Um, college players all have to wear full masks. I will tell you right now, I'm totally against the full mask. And the reason why is disrespect of the opponent. When you wear the full mask, you use your head as a battering ram. It's almost like you're a football player on the ice. If you had a half a shield and everybody had to wear a mouthpiece properly, watch how soon some of those crazy hits stop. Because guys don't want to get cut. They don't want to have the potential for breaking their nose or losing their teeth. And uh, it would control. When guys didn't have helmets on, you didn't see some of these crazy hits we're seeing now. They just didn't do it. That, yeah. that was a hard hit. Look at I saw Larry Robinson break the boards when he hit Gary Dornhofer in Montreal. He hit them so hard they broke the boards in the forum. I, I was told about that one. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, when guys didn't wear helmets, were there hard hits? Yeah, there were. But they weren't these full speed head-on boom in the open ice like we're seeing now. Maybe you had a couple guys like Tiger Williams who were just, you know, mayhem on ice. And you want them on your team. Or Stan Jonathan, you know, you want those guys on your team. But, no, nah, you didn't see those crazy now. But that full face, I'm telling you, one of the ways you could get this all sorted out is put shields on everybody. But the three-quarter one, not not the half one, three-quarter, yep. and make them all wear masks. And you watch how quick some of this stuff stops. For sure. Hey, speak, I don't know why my mind just went back to the old-time players. And, of course, you know, the Bruins here, Pierre, are celebrating the 100-year centennial. So they've been having these special centennial nights. And they had the, the lunch pill gang. So Jonathan was very – I saw them in the family box. Yeah, it was you great, wasn't it? Milbury a shoe. Did you see Wensink when he got introduced go like this to the bench? <laughs> well, you know what the good news was? The guys took it the way it was supposed to be done. Johnny yeah. Wensink was a tough guy. Oh, yeah. He was a tough guy. He was a tough yeah. guy. Yeah, it was good he stuff. Was and it was 
for a guy that did as much physical stuff as he did, he looks really good. Yeah, he's in good shape. And he was it, like, he was had his wits about him too. Yeah, he, like, yeah. he wasn't slowing down. And what was interesting was, I don't know if you saw it, Pierre, and I, I still haven't got a chance to talk to Frederick. I want to ask him maybe. So last week, uh, New Year's Eve, when they were playing Detroit in that game, remember I told you on the air here how rough it got? Yeah. He scored his first goal and he skated by the Detroit bench and did that. And he goes, let's go. Just like that. So I, I got to ask him, I said, was that for one sink? Because I know he met up with all those guys when they were in town. So I wonder if there's a connection there. <laughs> you remember one of our first shows we were talking about Trent Frederick? And yes. He is without a doubt one of the most improved players in the league. Uh, the other guy, there's a few of them, uh, but he's definitely one of them. Uh, he's done – He's done an amazing job. He really has. His skating yeah. is so solid. His board play is great. His release on a shot is so good. Um, he's becoming a power forward that I think the Bruins thought he would be. You look yep. at that draft, all the kids from St. Louis. You know, Brady was part of that. Keller uh, was part of that. Luke Cunning was part of that. It, it was amazing, all the St. Louis kids that were drafted that year. Um, and, you know, I know Keith Kuchuk had a lot to do with that. Kelly Chase had a lot to do with that. Uh, Logan Brown's father had a lot to do with that. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that no, was pretty amazing. Jeff Brown, by the way, is his dad. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty amazing. Uh, but you see Trent play now, and you're like, whoa. That, that was some good scouting, and that's been some great development going on with him. Yeah, and you see what he said, too. I sent you that piece uh, about Coyle and what a mentor he's been to him, Charlie Coyle, for Trent Frederick. It's good stuff. And, and Pierre, I mean, like – I love when, like, the way I saw, and I see it with other teams, but I love when the players today, when these kids can meet those older players, those alumni, and pick their brain, you know, and when they get the chance to just talk to them and and, and learn stuff they never knew, you know, they, they're, they're so many generations distance from the lunch pill gang. So to see them come and then come out of the room and talk to us about it, and they're just all like, this guy really did that. Yeah. Yeah. They did that back in the day. It's pretty cool to see the generations connect like that. It's really important. I think, and I don't know how many teams do this now, uh, but to understand the history of the organization that you're a part of and to understand yeah. the players that came before you and help make it a better league for you that were part of the same organization. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that if I had a chance to do it, I would implement in every locker room, uh, every player that wore, let's say, number seven just because it's a retired number in boston for esposito all the players that ever wore seven you know all the players that ever wore 37 not that there will ever be another one but you know yeah. what i'm saying yes um, and i i think that's really important because it brings tradition and memory into your room and you you get inquisitive about the players that wore that number like you want to know yeah you know what was that guy like Yep. Resources around teams are so important. Um, that's why I can tell you, just again, I keep bringing it up, and I know you've talked to Kevin Stevens about it, but Brian Trotche was a really important guy in Pittsburgh. He really was. Scotty Bowman was a really important guy. Uh, Bob Johnson really never listened to too many people, but, man, did he listen to Scotty when it came to strategy, bench matchups, uh, practice planning, travel planning, time zone travel. It was amazing to see the interplay between all these high-end hockey players when I was working in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And you learn so much because information at the end, if you're really wanting to get better, you need to have a lot of information. And I saw that happen 
and it's really important to have in your organization. And the Canadians have always done a good job of that, Pierre. Well, Newton Morell is an amazing guy, and yeah. he will tell you everything he's ever done in sports, whether it was at Providence College, whether it was with the New Jersey Devils, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and now with the New York Islanders, everything he's ever done based on two teams' principles, Boston Celtics under Red Arback and the Montreal Canadiens under Sam Pollock and Frank Selke Sr. Everything that he's done in his tenure as a sports management person has been based on two franchises, Boston yeah. basketball and Montreal in hockey. Yeah, always learn from the past for all you youngsters out there. Take the time, read up. You got plenty now. You've got so much at your fingertips with Google and everything. So no excuse. It helps you. It will help you become a better player and understand the game more. You know, one more question here because he he did want to say, uh, you know, he's happy to hear you on here, Piers. Joe Collin over here in the message room. Um, before he wrote this, he he said, uh, "I'm happy to hear Pierre back on here. I listen to him, TSN 690. There you go, there you go. I, I've been listening to you for a decade plus. I'm a TSN 690 listener. Keep up the great work. So I wanted to. What, what he asked me about? He's asked me about Lane. And there you go. Yep. He yeah. says I missed the first part. Thoughts on Lane Hudson? I have a hard time believing the hype because I've been hurt so many times as a Habs fan. Make me believe. He must be a young Habs fan because the older ones weren't hurt too many times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I told Jimmy before I'm going to be heading uh, to watch Boston University and Northeastern tomorrow night um, at BU. And uh, I can't wait to watch Lane play. I can't wait to watch Macron Celebrini play. Uh, I really am looking forward to watching uh, Alex Tuck's brother play, uh, Luke Tuck. So there's a lot of kids that I really can't wait to watch playing that game. But one of them, obviously, is Lane. And it's hard for players coming back from the World Junior to dominate just because physically and mentally, and especially after you win, it's just there's a letdown, Jimmy. It's just normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just normal. But I, Lane is a dominant player. He will be an elite power play player. He will not be a matchup shutdown guy. He won't. He just won't be big enough to do that. He'll be an elite puck mover. There's a lot of Quinn Hughes in him. I think there's a lot of Adam Fox in him. Adam Fox has won the Norris Trophy. Um, I'm not saying Lane's going to do that, but I, he's he's in that ilk. He is definitely in that ilk. This is a very, very special player. The Canadians fans should be really excited. Your power play will not have nearly the problems a lot of other teams have once he gets on your team. All right. Well, listen, uh, that, that'll do it for today, but uh, we appreciate it. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to Jocko's here for putting me up again. And, um, Pierre – Yes, don't forget our guests. Uh, I'm about to say that. Uh, okay. Pierre, we've got some big guests coming. I'm really excited tomorrow uh, yep. because not only do we have the UMaine head coach coming on, Ben Barr, he also was part of helping my alma mater win a national championship as an assistant under Greg Carville at UMass yep. Amherst. So – Right there, I've got an instant connection with him, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we, we've got a guest coming up on Friday as well for On Campus Friday. Pierre, why don't you tell our listeners? Yeah, Jimmy Madigan, can't wait. The athletic director, the former coach, assistant coach, and player at Northeastern University. So I was doing this breakdown with Jimmy today. Yeah. And I said, Jimmy, I'm thinking, I know for a fact, because I grew up playing against Jimmy in Montreal, he went to Loyola. I went to Laura Canada College, two schools that hate each other, and we used to have battles all the time. Anyways, <laughs> we've known each other a real long time. And um, I said to Jimmy Murphy today, I said, Jimmy, I know Mad Dog, that's his nickname. I know Mad Dog won the uh, Bean Pot as a player, 
I know he wanted as an assistant coach. I know he wanted as a head coach, and I know he wanted as an athletic director. So I'm saying, I don't think anybody else has done it. And I'm starting to think, and I'm starting to. And I said, yes, Jimmy, somebody else has done it. Jack Parker. Yeah. Now, I don't know. You'd have to do this for me because I haven't looked it up. Jack wanted as a player. I don't know if he wanted as an assistant coach. He definitely wanted as a head coach. Yep. And he definitely wanted as an athletic director. Yes. So find out about the assistant assistant coach. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Jimmy Madigan too, though. Uh, When he was with the Penguins, he was scouting for them. Uh, And he had, they won the cup in 2009. And I ended up through Kevin Stevens was at his cup party in his backyard. And it was, it was great time. Just really kept in touch with him over the years, would see him in the press box scouting. Great guy to talk to. I mean, he's one of the most personal guys to me that I've, come across in the game he's always got time for people here and always has a smile on his face oh no we've, we've had a lot of fun over the years back in the day we were both assistant coaches going out on the road recruiting and uh, i had the car and he had more of the per diem money so i would drive and put gas <laughs> in the car and he would pay for the meals nice and we, we were both recruiting and uh we'd either run up into ottawa run into montreal or we'd go over to toronto and we had some great road trips together. Lots of fun. He he's a really good hockey man. Really, yeah. really good. Is he, is he a West Island guy, Pierre? West he Island? Is, he's a West Island yeah. guy. And then uh, they moved to Toronto. He and his family moved to Toronto in the mid seventies. But uh, what's interesting is why we want Jimmy on is to get ready for the first two Mondays of February. Yep. And and my coworker Jimmy Murphy has a great idea. I don't. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share it now? We can. We haven't secured a location, but we are planning. We hope we're going to do a, a remote uh, outside the garden at a, uh, a we'll call it a local watering hole or a, an establishment, uh, a restaurant, whatever. Whoever would take us, I've got some good ideas, but I won't say it just yet because I haven't confirmed. But we are going to do that. So if you go into the bean pot, keep listening. We'll get the details out in the coming weeks, uh, and we're really looking forward to that. And as Pierre and I said, we agreed we want to do it on the first. Uh, Monday, which has the first game at five, the second game at I believe eight, eight fifteen. Uh, so that way it's perfect. We'll line up perfect. Maybe we'll even start like an hour early or a half hour early, have a little more time with the people that are around there. But yeah, we'll we'll be there. We'd love for you to come on down. So when we have the details, I will give them to you. And we would love for all you Boston people out there, even if you want to travel to town for the bean pot, uh, to come visit us, say hi, ask some questions in person. So we're we're pretty excited about that. We're also trying to get two more NHL guests that are high-profile people in, in the NHL. Sure. We're working on that for this week, actually. So. This week, yeah. One for Wednesday and one for Thursday. So we got a lot going on. Yep, we're looking forward to it. And uh, we want to thank everyone in the chat room there. Thank all our listeners who listen to us live and also on all your podcast platforms. And, of course, thank our great production crew. Thanks for the patience and a uh, little reshuffling, guys, uh, with my little Verizon issue. But – uh we made it happen again, and we look forward to talking to you tomorrow here on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the iTest with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.